All right, this is great. You are here to hear from the Lord through his word. Those are the words of scripture that we're going to learn on together. The degree to which I press those in your soul is the degree to which we have succeeded this morning. Um, So may those words come alive to you. Let's do that together. We have a one-two punch of a sermon today. I will begin. Pastor Matt will finish. Of course, I will take most of the time. (laughs) No surprise there. I will be hitting on another big gospel truth from Acts chapter 20 and this field guide that we're preaching on through who are we and what does it look for us to be the church together. Um, Let's frame this with the two big C's of celebration and commissioning. So rejoicing in God's grace to us through Matt and Laurel and commissioning, sending them out to go do their work. If you prefer, you could call it two S's, sadness and sending. Whichever alliteration you prefer this morning. Nine years ago, this super skinny and very bright-eyed, very enthusiastic, very young couple landed with us. They were recovering from spending years in the frozen tundra of this icy, cold, steely gray campus called Houghton College in upstate New York. I don't know if you've ever been through there. They threw themselves immediately into the life and the mission of our church. And they started to love and to learn and to repent and to believe and to serve you, to serve you. They would drive from South Hamilton, where they were learning and studying, all the way to West Medford every single Tuesday night through traffic just to be discipled and to love people in the life of our church. They watched your children. They painted many of these walls. They gave people rides to the airport. They loved their upstairs neighbor in the apartment that they lived in. All of it, on and on, without any complaints. They lived across the street from a Burger King with no complaints at all. French toast stick aroma waffling into their apartment in the morning. Whoppers at night, and they were good with it. Matt's desire was to pastor and to shepherd people and to do that with us. He ran through our pastor track twice just so he would be ready to serve you in that way. If you asked me who has been the most influential disciple-making couple in the life of this congregation since we moved into this space, without hesitation, at the front of my lips would be Matt and Laurel. Not exclusively, many of you have done that, but their names would be right at the start of my answer. They have served us with earnestness and with loyalty and with honesty and with love, with all of their sageness and quirkiness and violaness and holiness. We often employ 
family language in the life of our church because scripture compels us to talk about family. Sometimes we're just saying those words, but we don't really mean them. I mean this with whatever gospel depths there are to these words. Laurel has been a sister to the people in this church. Matt has been a brother to the people in this church. Over this next month, they will be moving to upstate New York again, to Buffalo, Amherst, New York, to make disciples, to serve Jesus, to build their family. We can't wait to see what the Lord is going to do through that work. It should be very exciting to us. Um, and we'll give Matt a chance to speak to you at the back end of this. In the middle here, I want to speak to you about what the posture of our hearts gets to be on a day like today when we are giving things that are very valuable and very precious to us away. How does our heart get to that place? In the field guide that we're writing, this chapter is called Superglue because of our tendency to hold on to things rather than give them away. Uh, the big resolve here, the one that works its way into whatever we do with what we have been given, whether that is our best people or our money or our space or our intellect or our words or our homes, is, is this. We are going to live open-handedly with everything that we have been given. We are going to live open-handedly with everything that we've been given. Visually, we say it like this. Seven Mile Road is going to live like this and not like this. We're going to live like this and not like this. And remember that preaching is not just me up here waxing on theological niceties and biblical curiosities. It's about the Spirit of God coming to your heart through your ears and changing you. And so as this gospel truth hits your ears today, you need to be asking, do I live like this or do I live like this? All right, let's pray. Father, visit us by your grace, through your word, by your Spirit, that we might be a holy church community together that we might learn how to be like our Lord Jesus himself. Hear my prayer for that and answer, I pray. Amen. Okay, let me start here. This is something of an oversimplification. Just run with me. Just run with me. There are always two different types of people in any home, any marriage, any family. When it comes to what they tend to do with what they have, there are those who spend and there are those who save. There are those who spend, and there are those who save. Just got paid Friday night. Party's hopping. Thank you, Sam. Goodness gracious. And my money's going to be gone by 8 a.m. on Saturday. There's those type of people. Type of people. Then there is just got paid. It's Friday night. Party's hopping. 
but I'm not going because all my money went straight to the credit union. There's those people. Which are you? Which is your immediate default go-to with what you find in your hands? Okay, let's work on this. Where are my spenders? See, only a couple of people want to, like, inch that hand up. Two hours in the Meadow Glen Mall, and you come out, and your arms are completely filled with bags, right? No blood has gotten down to your hands for the last two hours. Two hours on Amazon, and you are cramped up by clicking, move to cart. Move to cart. I love that button. Click, 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 move to cart. Quantity six. You go to the movies, and you not only buy the tickets, but what else? You buy popcorn, you buy Cracker Jacks, you buy Goobers. At the one in Revere, you can now buy a 16-ounce beer and a hot dog. You probably buy a couple of movie posters. Your Discover card statement, how long is it? It's like 19 pages long. You think this is okay because your cash back reward bonus keeps going up. Matt, you got to see this. I buy stuff, and then they give me back money. That's not exactly how that works. Who are my savers? Savers are always like, that's me. My righteousness before God is in my fiscal self-discipline. You go to the Meadow Glen Mall, and you come out with nothing. And you're so ticked off because the guy at the counter at Chess King would not negotiate the price of the jeans with you. And you're like, what is going on here? You go to Amazon for two hours and your cart is empty. You've read all the reviews, but you couldn't actually click spend. You only go to the movies when someone gives you the tickets. And where do you stop on your way there? CVS would be splurging. You stop at Price Right for the cheap candy. Your cargo pants, your back pocket tucked into your underwear. You've got a hot dog in your hoodie. You're like making your way slowly to your seat. Your Discover card statement is thin. Your, 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 your bank statement is multiple pages long. These are the default categories of the human heart and the human hands when it comes to our stuff. Now, I'm not saying that both of these are always necessarily sinful. Not at all. We can spend money to the glory of God. We can save money to the glory of God. I've been given responsibility for a family of six. We spend a lot of money. We just do, and that's okay. My Discover card statement is packed. We need to eat and dress and and educate our kids, and heat the house, and do all the things that we do. Spending can be a holy thing. We also save. I am the father in this house, so you know that we are saving money, and we're doing that toward very good future ends. But if we are not careful, these two options quickly become the only things that we ever do with what we've been given. Holding on to our stuff for ourselves, either now 
so that we consume it and I just spend it all on me. It comes back right away. Or we stretch out the time horizon and we hoard it for ourselves for some later purpose. But can you feel the irony in here? What seems like two very different personality traits and ways to deal with our hands are not really different at all. They can both be driven by self-interest. It's just the horizon of time that has changed. Either way, it's all coming back to me. Think of a kid on Halloween night. Some of those kids get a bucket of candy, and what do they do before 10 p.m.? It's gone, and they're sick tomorrow. Other kids disappear, and they run upstairs, and they hide all of that candy in a corner somewhere. For who? For themselves, just for later. But then there is this other thing that we can do with what we have received. And this one is not the default action of the human heart or of the human hands. It is counterintuitive. It's unusual. It is selfless. And for us, it is gospel-born. That is, when we find things in our possession, to give them away. Has anybody ever gone to the Meadow Glen Mall and waited around until you saw somebody coming up to the counter with a bunch of stuff and then swooped in and said, hey, I got this, and swiped your card and said, that's my gift to you. Go home and enjoy it. Has anybody ever been on Amazon about to buy something for yourself and then jumped to a different site where you were giving that money away instead? Seven Mile Road Giving Fire or any other good, beautiful gospel cause. Has anybody ever gone to the movies and brought M&Ms for the whole row? If you have... I love you for it, but I think the answer is no. We will spend, we will save, but give? What is this? We are all natural consumers or hoarders that we might consume later. That's our default posture. We are convinced that to get and then to hang on to what we got is the best and the, and the wisest and the happiest course of action. Here's our maxim right here. Our default maxim is this. It is more blessed to receive than to give. It's more blessed to receive than to give. We're convinced of that. Believe it or not, I am Puerto Rican. This is just what happens when a Puerto Rican woman marries the whitest guy in the history of whiteness from Queens, New York. You end up with this complexion right over here. Most of my cousins are 100% Hispanic or Puerto Rican Dominican, Puerto Rican Cuban. It's basically like a Roy looking fest or a Ralph looking fest with my family stuff. Everybody's much darker than my brother and I. Uh, The dominant last name was Quintero or Quintero. Every year we would get together when I was a kid for Quintero Christmas. 
So imagine 50, 60 Puerto Ricans in one-bedroom apartments in Brooklyn or Queens or in Manhattan on the, on the 20th floor of a skyscraper. That's what we did. There were so many kids that every kid would only get one present. They would give them away one at a time. So this was loud Puerto Rican Christmas stuff. So like, David, David, what did you get, David? And then David would open it, and then everybody would scream and yell. And then Johnny, and then Elysia, and then Scotty. James and I would wait and wait and wait until it was our turn to get our present. And that was the best part of the night for us. Some years it was great, right? Voltron or a pinball machine. Other years it was was like that red sweater that you didn't even put in the trunk of the car on your way out of there. But either way, if you would have asked us, we would have said, best part of Christmas is when our name got called, Mateo, Mateo, and we were going to receive our gift. This is how your heart is wired, is it not? Have you noticed how happy people get when you are giving the simplest thing away and they have a chance to receive something? Sometimes I'll bring Cane's donuts to my day job and just put them on the desk. Oh my goodness, you would think people <laughs> hit the lottery. I'm getting half a donut. Whoa, this is the best thing ever. Have you gone to a Celtics game when they're giving away those cheap $3.99 t-shirts and they throw them to the crowd? Grown men will beat on nine-year-old children to get their hands on those t-shirts. Why do we do this? We are convinced it is best to receive, and it's definitely more blessed to receive than to give. What is true about us as individuals will necessarily be true about us as a church. People hold on to stuff for dear life, and the church community can do that as well. I write a lot about this in the field guide. I'll just summarize it like this. If you think that people like to spend money on themselves, you should see some church budgets. And if you think that people like to hoard money and hang on to it for themselves, you should see some church budgets. You should see some church bank accounts. We spend and we save as churches. But then we come to the words of Jesus, and we see that we really do have it all backwards. If not backwards, wrongly prioritized. That while spending can be good and saving can be good, the happiest and the holiest and the sweetest and the best thing that we can do with what we have is to give it away. Let's work this in our text. In these words, Paul is talking about his ministry among a church that he had planted, and he's talking about his generosity with them, how he worked with his own hands instead of taking money from the church to support him in the startup phases of this church plant. Here's how he says it, Acts 20, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my needs and to those who were with me. Does everyone feel this? 
getting his hands on stuff or the capacity to increase the amount of stuff that he has never crossed his mind. He was not looking at silver, gold, apparel, material things with covetousness. He was like, huh? There was no, I have to have these things in his soul. He was not primarily a spender or primarily a saver. Primarily, he was a giver. He worked hard to receive so that he might bless the church and bless those who were in need around him. He worked hard to gain and then gave away what he had received. And then he gives the doctrinal ground for behaving in this crazy way. And he says these words, we must remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. These words do not appear in exact form in any of the four gospels. They would have been part of the tradition that was being handed down person to person of the teachings of Jesus. But I want you to allow the weight and the wonder and the weirdness of this phrase from Jesus to hit you. It is better to give than to receive. All right, the temptation is to hear those words and think that they're just like a nice saying that goes on a coffee mug that collects dust in my shelf. Or I would read that in a fortune cookie and then forget about it as soon as I was done with my General Gao's chicken. Or maybe I would read these on a yoga mat somewhere, and then I would sit on that thing and forget that I even saw them. It's like one of those sayings. It doesn't intersect with the real world, but it sounds nice from from Rabbi Jesus' mouth. At the bottom, it's just silly, naive, wishful thinking. What I need you to do is to hear that these words are not just hanging out there like a pithy statement, but they come at you with all of the force of the character of God, of the way of God. These words are the story of God. These words right here. Christ did not just say them. His Father and the Spirit have lived them. If I gave you a month to read your Bible from beginning to end, and you just took in the story in one long shot, one of the words that you would bring to me and say, well, here's how I would describe this God who stands behind everything that just happened in this story, is the word generous. He gives, and he gives, and he gives, and he gives, and he gives. As soon as you open the book and get to the first chapter of the first book, he is giving. He gives to man a beautiful garden home. Here it is. It's yours. Filled with breathtaking, bountiful, beautiful, rich things on every end. Visual delights, aromatic delights, culinary delights, sexual delights. He packs this home with all the gifts you could imagine. In chapter two, we zero in on the man and the woman and their story, and we see God giving again. One of the most romantic texts in all of Scripture. He brings Eve to Adam and gives him the greatest gift imaginable and gives him to her. He is 
giving with his hands wide open. And the story just rolls like this. God gives Sarah a son. God gives Isaac a wife. God gives the people away through the Red Sea. God gives them manna in the desert. God gives Joshua the land. God gives David a kingdom. God gives Solomon wisdom. God gives the widow her son back. God gives Naaman his skin back. I could keep going till two in the afternoon with the gracious, generous heart of God in this story. Of course, all of this is leading up to the greatest wildness, most insane gift of all that we know from John 3.16, for God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will receive or be given eternal life. Do you feel this? The heart of the gospel story is the father being open-handed with the most treasured reality in the universe and saying, I'm going to give. I'm going to give. This is the heart of God. He is a giver all the way down. This is why Paul could write these words to Christians like you and me. If God, who did not spare or fail to give, his only son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That is a fast way of me saying to you, does everyone feel that these are not just words, but this is the mighty heart, the very soul of God, that he gives and he gives to the nth degree. What's the implication? If we see the living God who always acts in accord with what is best, what is good, what is beautiful, what is true, if we see him giving and giving and giving, what is the implication? The implication is, whoa, it really is more blessed to give than to receive. Giving is where it's at. And me admonishing you and encouraging you and calling you and sometimes literally sitting with you and peeling your fingers back off your life so that you might become generous is the most loving thing I could ever do for you and for our church. These words of Jesus are not supposed to be heard as a downer or a law, but as an invitation to joy. This is not less happiness for me to separate myself from my stuff. This is more happiness for me. It is more joyful to be the giver than to be the receiver. If you know anything about our church, you know that the Lord has taught us to believe this to be true over these years. Here's a super brief, fast history of Seven Mile Road in three steps. Here we go. The first five years, grind. That's my summary word for that. Here's how I wrote it. Start, grind, experiment, fail, grind, 
read, learn, pray, grind, preach, disciple, love, falter, stumble, muddle, grind, read, learn, repent, muddle, grind, repeat, repeat, repeat. Those are the first five years of the life of our church. Here's the next stretch. I call this grow. I actually call it whoosh in the field guide. Broad and sudden and deep gospel wakefulness. New people everywhere. Rapid growth. Chairs in the hallway. Momentum, finally. Sustainability even, maybe, could be. Lots of stuff in our hands. And now here's the last five years in the life of our church. Give it all away. This is what we've been doing since 2011. Among the hundreds of Evernotes that I have, there's one particular note that I fight to love. I fight to love it. It's called Shaped and Sent by Seven Mile Road. And it lists the names now of over 150 adults and 50 or 60 children who have left our church in the last five years. It's probably the most updated note that I have in Evernote. You know how they keep bringing the one that you update to the front? This is the one. Because we are constantly giving our people away like this. From 2011 to 2016 now, we sent 60 of the members of this church to plant churches three miles this way and three miles that way. Uh, We've sent another 100 members of our church to, you ready for this? Texas, Florida, Alabama, North Carolina, Wisconsin, California, Hawaii, Colorado, New York, New Hampshire, Illinois, Virginia, Washington, Minnesota, Nebraska, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Kansas, Connecticut, Oklahoma, Kentucky, Rhode Island, Maine, Ghana, Tanzania, and the Comoros Islands. We have given away singers, pastors, and deacons, and nursery workers, and teachers, and electricians, and doctors, and engineers, and professors. I didn't even want to put up for you here how much recurring giving they took with them to the ends of the country and the earth, but there was a lot of zeros involved, giving that, giving away. And Jesus tells me, absolutely the best thing that could have happened. More blessed to give than to receive. Do you believe that? We have to be about the planting of churches together. We're in. Even it means, even if it means giving away our best leaders, our best workers, our best givers. Let's do it. We must be about the giving away of money, even if it means that we have a deficit here for a year or two. We got to give. We must be about the giving away of our sermons and of our songs and of our time and of our energies. Giving away of our benefit of the doubt to others. Jesus tells me, 
way better that way. It's way better that way. The math of the kingdom of Jesus does not work the way that you think that it works. Here's how you think it works. Addition and accumulation. I add and I add and I add, and then I have more, and that is success. Jesus says, I got a totally different math going on, a totally different calculus. It is multiplication by subtraction. You give, and then I am finally able to do more than if you just hoarded and hoarded and hoarded. I'm not saying that this is easy. My heart is totally convinced that it is more blessed to hang on to and to collect and to keep and to compile and to lock away. That would be the best. When Suzanne heard that the Morans were leaving, she said to me, do you get afraid that like everybody's just going to be gone from this place? Another beautiful couple is leaving. How does faith answer that question? No, Suzanne, my young friend who I'm getting to disciple. It's more blessed to give than to receive. We are way safer before Jesus if our hands are like this than if our hands are like this. We are not losing the Morans today. They are not leaving. We are giving them away. What a gift to have received them. I'm not pretending that wasn't one of the greatest gifts of the last 10 years of my life. But what's even better? Even better than that would be the grace from God to say, now you get to give them away. So their sorrow, but there's got to be massive gospel joy in the life of this church on a day like today. All right, so just apply this to yourself this week. Are you living in, uh, are you living open-handed? And like if I filmed your life, is it like this? Or is it like this? This is why we implore you to give a bunch of money to this church. It's the safest thing that you can do is to say, I have received. It is more blessed to give than to hang on to. This is why we plead with you to be generous with the benefit of the doubt for others. It is more blessed to think the best of them and to give the benefit than to hold back and be cynical or skeptical. It is more blessed for you to give your time away. It is more blessed for you to give your energy away. It is more blessed for you to forgive, to give that away. If you are a consumer only, repent of that this week. If you are a hoarder only, repent of that this week. Look at your hands and say, Jesus, teach me to believe. I want to be like you. Hands open with the things that I have received. Let me pray and then I'll invite Matt to come up. Father, would you give us the grace to believe this to be true? It's very difficult. You know our weakness. Would you give us the eyes to see downstream into eternity, the multiplication that happens when we subtract from ourselves? 
would you pry open the hands of this church that we might get caught up in the generosity of the triune God and have massive joy from it? And would you set our hearts to celebrate rightly today the giving of Matt and Laurel to Community of Grace Church in Buffalo? And would you begin now to work on the heart of that church to believe that it's way better to give than to receive? Thanks for your words. Press them in our hearts. I pray that you would do it.